0: Hi, welcome to Exploring the Illusion of Free Will. My name is George, and today we're going to be talking about human will and the Occupy Global Revolution. Okay, um, basically what we're going to do is just trace the causal chain of events that have led to this global revolution, and then kind of explore what it means, what what the revolution and its aftermath will mean um, to 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 the world and actually how we can use the causal perspective to go through this very it's going to be a challenging phase in human history but to go through it in actually the most civilized and pleasant way possible um okay so <laughs> this is a, this is an exciting show because this is like one of the reasons you know like today um you know, I did, this is the third of three shows I've taped, and like, I'm doing these without notes, you know, just with the title of the show, um, and part of it is because like my, my attention has been so drawn to what's going on with this Occupy, you know, I've been going down to Liberty Square um, and all, and so like, but, but you know, I do recognize that this is a very, very important topic to what's going on, so, so that's why I'm doing this show and all right let's begin uh i haven't gotten to the point where i've like you know poured over the um the history of it you know exactly from what i know all right basically we can go back to let's say tunisia with this you know um i think it was a a street vendor who if if the account that i heard was correct i think he was insulted by a by a police officer or something he became very distraught i think he was like um i i think it was an economy based or whatever i don't know but anyway i think he i think he set fire to himself you know very tragically it was very yeah you know, very unfortunately but then you know what happened is because of that um then tunisians started to demonstrate started to protest and then like they toppled the you know the the leaders of Tunisia. Then then in Egypt they they said, wait a minute, if if the Tunisian people can do that, you know, against their corrupt leaders, we can do that against our corrupt leaders too. So they took down Mubarak, and then in Libya they felt the same thing, and they took down uh, Gaddafi. And then this has been going on in in Iran and. Um, and Saudi Arabia, and it's it's now all over the world. I mean, you know, they had riots in um, in Italy and London, and so now now we're like, and this is all causal. In other words, you know, what this one person did, you know, just set set in motion this whole chain of events that are that is leading to to um, you know, new world. So you know, actually, when, you know, God, you know, again. Um, I I would never encourage anyone to, um, to, um, you know, light themselves on fire or something for, for whatever, but, but just, this just shows you don't, don't let anyone like tell you that as one person, you can't, you know, change the world because you can, um, you know, like, um, Mark Zuckerberg changed the world with Facebook because Facebook was instrumental in all this. All right. Um, so. So then, you know, we've got these, like, the Arab Spring, the Arab Awakening that happened, you know. And then, then what happened was there was a, an activist organization in Canada called Adbusters. They, um They have a magazine, too, and they launch activist campaigns. So they thought it would be a good idea if protesters were to occupy Wall Street, a park in Wall Street. And... Um, And then they got together with another group who got the idea that fine, well, you know, who is it going to be that we're protesting with and who is it going to be that we're protesting against? Because um, traditionally, a lot of times in, in American politics, it's about parties. It's about the Democrats versus the Republicans or it's about government. It's about the government, you know, whatever. But so they decided to take a different tack on this. They decided to have this be a revolution of the 99% against the top 1% who essentially control the politics of the world and the economy of the world and, you know, by that are responsible for so much unnecessary suffering that comes about from the inequality that they've created, you know, the, um, the global inequality. So... Um, all right, so so and so that was genius. That was brilliant. You know, ninety-nine versus one. You know, again, we've already won. They're, 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 you know, but, um, and the reason I say this that the, uh, the occupation, the revolution, really already is won. It's just going to, at least in the United States, um, is that um, okay? This is interesting. Uh, yeah, I want to get very creative in this. Um, it's it's fascinating how. How what causes or what reasons um, then um, result in, in what outcomes? Um, for example, for for the several two three four however many million years that um, that we've been human beings on the planet, um, you know, when when a girl is um, when a woman is, is 13, when a girl becomes a woman, I guess, at 13, when, when, when they become capable of procreating. Um, it generally wasn't much after that that traditionally over these several million years that, you know, young women began to have families then. That's, you know, the hormones were kicking in. The the, the physiology was like preparing them to, to give birth and all, to start families. That's, that's how we're conditioned. Okay, now, you know, just zoom into now the, the last two, 100 years or so, um, that, that historical model of, of women, you know, beginning to, to raise families at 14, 15 is, is you know, in, in a lot of the world, at least in, in the developed world, the first world, it's not really um, the way things are anymore. First, you know, you have um, women Young women encouraged to first wait until they have, let's say, graduated high school. Okay, but ideally, they're encouraged to wait until you know they've maybe graduated college and maybe they're into the let's say they're you know mid twenties or thirties, whatever. Basically, women are postponing starting a, a, a family because there's this kind of a contract that they have with society that they you know society says, listen, um, get an education. You know, get an education, you can make more money. Um, you can have a better life if you, um, you know, have an education, and that will make things easier. And so what's happened, I mean, what I'm trying to say is that, like, the 2008 global recession that, um, that has cost so many people jobs, I think it's affecting this particular population, these young women who, like, I think basically this is hormonal, this is like physiological, their bodies, their psyches, their basic beings is telling them, no, we are not going to wait um, another five years to start having a family because some 1% of the population want to like take, what, over 30% of the wealth of, of, of the world, you know, or, and, and just completely control the, the governmental policies, which they do, you know, with that money. Um, these, these women, naturally, are not looking at the political implications of this. These women just want to, like, have kids. They want to start having their families. And that, that probably um, more than, I don't know, perhaps anything, I don't know, who knows. But that's, that's probably a very, very um, telling and salient reason why the revolution has already been won. Because, you know, these, these women are in the same situation. And, again, like, you know, in some of the poor, if they succeeded this in some of the poor countries, like, Libya and Tunisia and Egypt, we can't but succeed with this in the United States and Europe because we have such higher standards. In other words, you know, um, the women in these developed countries are not going to wait five, ten years. You know, whereas like in poorer countries, because of the poverty and lack of empowerment that that um, that comes with it, they you know they might more likely, but as as we saw, since they didn't, then it you know stands a reason that um, that American and European and probably asian and you know yeah women all the all the world south american women yeah african women yeah yeah so anyway so so this is a very very interesting kind of a causal causal conditioning that happens you know causal um, because you know we're biologically um, hardwired to start families at a certain age and because we're only women will only tolerate a certain amount of delay in that and because the economy isn't expected to improve anytime soon you know you've got a you've got a successful global revolution of the 99% by you know uh, against the 1% you know it's not going to go away it's not going to fail because these women are going to raise their families um, and there's more to it than that of course but all right so but what does this mean what is what will it mean um, Relative to this question of human will, um, as we progress, as we, as we, you know, basically, I guess, in steps and stages, you know, begin the process of taking the power and, and, and the money from the 1%, um, well, if we adopt a free will perspective, it's not going to be very pleasant for anyone, because we, the 99%, would be justified in in blaming the 1% and in condemning them and in just like you know claiming they're just evil and reckless and um, and selfish and greedy which they are but under the free will perspective we blame them for that we hold them accountable and naturally you know they must a lot of them must be scared out of their minds you know in terms of like thinking about the future because they don't want the 99% just like you know um aggressing you know, politically, psychologically, economically, whatever, God willing, not um, physically, but you know, they don't want to be in that position. Um, we, the 99%, uh, we don't want to be in the position of having to blame individuals and groups of individuals as we go about the process of, of making the, um, the world more equal, fairer, and you know, more pleasant. So um, that'll tell you everything. That will tell you everything. I mean, like, to the extent that we um understand that that human will is not free that it's causal, then we can proceed with this revolution in the most civilized way possible. Um, okay, I talked about this a bit in the show before this. Um, this revolution is yes, about you know young kids wanting a future, wanting to you know progress with their life dreams but um it's also about equality. It's also about, you know, how wrong it is for people to think that the right of them, for them to make as much money as they want, they can, trumps the right of some people to live. Because that's the world we live in, you know, this this capitalist notion that, that freedom to just like, you know, amass as much wealth as you want is more important than than the right you know, of of people to live in. And, you know, I mean, 30,000 kids under the age of five are dying every day because of this global poverty that is maintained and perpetuated by the policies of the 1%. You know, this, this, poli- this, in other words, a lot of times when we get cheap products, you know, here in the United States, it's because we're not paying the, the workers enough. And even like, let's say, if, if they're being made in China or in Africa or, or in Asia, whatever, Asia, um, basically a lot of that money is not going toward the workers, it's going toward toward the rich, you know, to, toward the owners. And so the reason this human will question is so important to the revolution, to the equality aspect of this revolution, is because it provides a logical, rational, moral basis for the equality. And the idea is that... Um, If nobody has a free will, then, I mean, we generally understand the implications of understanding that our wills are not free within the context of blame. In other words, like, if somebody does something wrong, if we do something wrong, we understand that if they don't have a free will, if they're completely compelled, if they couldn't do anything but what they did, then um, we can't rightly blame them, you know. So that's, that's generally how we, we um, you know, apply this question of human will to morality, how philosophers do. But very few philosophers, you know, extend that logic to, to the other side of it, meaning that if we can't blame ourselves logically, each other, for what we do wrong, we certainly can't either credit ourselves when we do good, when we when we do right because when we do right that's as equally compelled it's compelled by the past by God by by the universe whatever so so if we're not going to like you know if we're not going to let's say punish um people ourselves as we do wrong when we make mistakes and that doesn't mean like there is you know some utility to deterrence you know um punishment as a deterrent i mean that can help in a lot a lot of ways it's not necessary but but you know it can help in a lot of ways but um if we apply this to um i lost my train of thought okay um let me think all right it's just the idea is like you know this this occupy revolution um you know, if we think about how it's going to transpire, I mean, I'm not sure what's going to happen through the, the fall and winter, because, you know, I mean, I'm not going to occupy there. I've got a tent. I'm, I'm psyched. Like, in the spring, I want to, like, go, you know, and camp out at some occupations, you know, like, when the weather starts getting warm again, but I have a feeling people, you know, there's, like, a somebody I know um, who, who's, like, he's in the polar bear club. These guys, like, go, I think, to Coney Island in, <laughs> in the middle of winter and just jump in the water. So there's a lot of people out there that, you know, the weather doesn't scare them that much. So I'm guessing that these, you know, these occupations will, you know, extend through the, um, through the fall and winter, but then really mushroom all over the country and the world in the spring, summer, and fall of next year because, to a great extent, because of the elections 2012, but also because this movement, once it's started, once we have the weather with us and all, is just unstoppable um so so then the uh, the uh, question becomes what what spirit are we going to conduct this um revolution under are we going to conduct it under the insane indictive um wrong perspective that human beings have a free will because if we do that we're going to be at each other you know we're going to be at each other um, look what happened in libya we can take that route or we can, like, and, you know, I hope the 1% is wise enough to, to listen to this because it really does affect them. If, they're, if we, together, and especially they, because they control so much of the media, are willing to understand, if they're fated to understand, again, because it's not up to them, that, um, that free will is an illusion. And if, if we kind of, like, really, really appreciate the, the ramifications, the, what this signifies then then we can conduct this revolution yeah without without the blame then you know that means like you know we got go out to dinner with a one percent percenter, whatever they go out to dinner with us yes listen i'm sorry we're gonna to have to take a lot of your money a lot of your power but you know it's not about you you know you know you couldn't do but what you did this is about just like you know allowing people to have good lives, to, to raise kids, to eat, you know, to live. It's not, you know, people, we won't take it personally. That's a good, that's a good theme. I think um, the free will perspective personalizes stuff. Okay. And yeah, that, that, that basically when we ascribe free will to the 1%, it's going to be personal. It's about them as people. But when we remind ourselves that wait a minute, they're you know the way they acted, the greed, the selfishness, what what they're doing now, they can't help but have acted that way. Then we realize, wait a minute. So it's the universe. It's it's the universal will that's um, that's causing all this. And um, and yeah. The, then then all of a sudden, you know the the. the the anger toward that one percent um, evaporates, and their anger—they may be angry toward the ninety-nine percent for thinking that, um, for you know, for daring to think that human life is, is more valuable than their right to to make money. You <laughs> because they are so deluded. My God, I mean, like now, you know, there there are many people within the one percent uh, who are compassionate, but but as a group you know this this group is like the most dangerous on the planet because they're so self-indulgent and and so indifferent to to the plight of the 99%. And um and you know it's so like so this this matter of human will involves them also because like they they do tend to blame us. So if they understand that we don't have a uh, free will either, we're just like, you know, these women are just like um going by the dictates of their Hormones of their, you know, biological clock, and these young kids um, are just like compelled by the economic conditions that, you know, of joblessness, of, of no future, you know, especially with the future being, you know, stolen from them uh, with the with the huge debt, for example, the United States have, and our um, our refusal to do anything about climate change. I mean, these are these are majorly um, majorly. "Quote unquote," blame-worthy kinds of things that you could potentially blame a lot of people for, you know. But again, if if we just understand that um, that everything's causal, that free will is an illusion, we will um, we'll conduct this this revolution in a much more civil and pleasant way. Because, you know, many in the one percent don't get this yet, but but this revolution is necessary. In other words, like, with, with the changes that are coming about as a result of climate change, not in 50 years, but over the next decade and two and three, um, if we don't start to address it, you know, in various ways, um, it doesn't matter whether you're in the top 1% or the bottom 99%, it's going to affect you. And, and now with the political... Um, you know scenario we're under it's absolutely going to affect you because the 99 percent are going to make sure it affects you (laughs) you know so i mean like we're in this together so um so yeah this is it's hugely important to understand you know the nature of human will because of um of all this this is i'm i'm having you know it may be because I... Um, this is like the third show I'm taping. It may be because this topic is so um, big. This is the biggest thing happening. It's the biggest thing ever, probably. A global revolution, a peaceful global... Revolution. Yeah, I want, I want to focus on that, actually, because, like... Um, well, no, no. Basically, what I want to say is, like, all right, I... Um, to the extent that um, then in trying to kind of, like... Relate this, the importance of the issue of the human will to the occupy ninety-nine percent revolution against the one percent. To the extent that um, that I'm kind of like tangenting into other areas, is because this is so huge. You know, I'm I'm still trying to wrap myself around this. You know, basically, the rule of ninety-nine per, of the one percent is over. You know, their their inordinate wealth at the expense of everyone else is over. And the reason I know this also is like. Um, you know, I've studied the history of the Depression. You know, um, FDR got elected in '32. The de- Depression, I think, was like '28, '29, whatever. And um, you know, after that, you know, there was there was a huge, there was a um, a very very wealthy class back then. Actually, the one percent now are wealthier than the one percent back then were, which is like egregious but but you know you had major major changes coming about um at that time and so this is we're we're in a very similar time except this is like basically we have learned that you can't allow the rich the one percent to have any advantage over the 99 because what happened was is like you know they instituted a lot of like um laws back then to to kind of like to lessen the power and the money of the one percent but they didn't go far enough. So, like you know, with the 80s and the Reaganomics and all this stuff, they they basically um, it wasn't just Reagan, Clinton too, Kennedy. Um, the 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 rich just started accumulating wealth again, and as they did that, they started accumulating power. And so, yeah, basically the history tells us that um, that we did it before. We have to do it again. It's so much more important now. So we will do it. And and um And I think what I want to say also is that um, this is such a cool revolution because it's peaceful. It can be completely peaceful. I mean, like, um, yeah, um, we basically have to kind of um, get the message out there that it's not the police against the people. It's not the government against the people. It's the policies, the money, and the power of the 1%, you know, against the people. And so... um, so, yeah, as we... All right, I, I got to hook it back to... We've got about three minutes left. I've got to bring it really back to this um, this issue of human will. We've got, you know, it's all fate. It's not up to us, so let's not blame ourselves. If we don't do this, and let's hope we get this right. But if between now and next year, our world makes major strides in understanding that human will is causal and not free, I guarantee you that's going to make have major effects on the nature and, um, and workings and outcome, well, not so much the outcome, but just the workings of this revolution. In other words, it's going to be so much more peaceful and civil and, and, and friendly and, and, and blameless, you know, um, without the attribution, without our condemning, you know, these people, these, the, the 1% for their greed and their callousness and indifference. You know, if we can just like go about the, the, the business of you know, basically doing what we have to do, just uh, redistributing the wealth, um, just removing their political power, um, creating jobs, addressing the um, the climate, healthcare, all that stuff. If we we go about that with a causal world perspective. That will benefit everyone, including the top one percent. They don't realize it yet, but um, yeah, because like. See, I mean, like with the top 1%, for example, like, um, it's not, you know, we've, we've created such an amazingly competitive world that it's like, you know, having all that money just doesn't really, um, I mean, I know this from, from my happiness work. You know, I did 140 episodes of the happiness show. And one of the major findings is more money above the poverty line does not make you happier and more power doesn't make you happier. So like they'll probably end up being a lot happier, um, once this, um, once I don't have so much money and power. yeah, money corrupts, power corrupts. Okay, um, all right, we've got less than a minute. So I just want to do a quick commercial. All right, every Wednesday night, 11 p.m., Manhattan Neighborhood Network Channel 56, okay, from 11 to 11.30, a live television call-in show. The Messenger and I... um, are there. We're explaining to Manhattan, the rest of the world on the internet that free will is an illusion. The show's called Myth of Free Will. Okay, so, you know, check it out. Call us up. Just tell us why you think free will is an illusion or why you think that we have free will and then we'll explain why we don't. All right, well, that's it for today. Um, hope you had a good day and I guess I'll see you next time on Exploring Illusion and Free Will. Thanks.